John chapter 16 verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine And declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Join me in prayer, please. Uh, Father, Lord, we again give you thanks and praise for this day. Lord, we thank you for our time of worship so far in song and in liturgy. Lord, we continue to pray, Lord, that your spirit would be poured out upon us as we worship you. Lord, in in word and in Eucharist, Lord, we pray, God, that you would open our minds and hearts, Lord, to worship you and to understand your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, uh, as many of you know, uh, begins a new season, right? It's the season known as Ordinary Time, right? Or actually, technically, kind of began last week, right, with Pentecost. uh, Because another name for this season is the season after Pentecost, right, which is... Kind of a very original name, right? But, but a good understanding of this season is that it is really the season of the church, right? We have the celebratory season and then the ordinary time. In some ways, it's, it's kind of a season of quiet, right? It's a time where, where we wait, like we discussed a few weeks ago when we were celebrating the Ascension. It's a season where we, as the church, were really challenged in our waiting we're, because we ask, what are we to do while we wait on the return of the Lord Jesus. How, how are we to do life together? How are we to minister to one another? How, when, and where do we share the truth about Jesus with others? Basically, what are we doing? And so during the celebratory season, we rightly focus on the incarnation of, of Jesus and, and the salvation that is accomplished by the coming of Christ in the flesh. But now, during ordinary time, our focus begins to shift to the outworking of that salvation. That was accomplished by the Lord Jesus. And, and we first begin to understand that outworking on the day of Pentecost. And we see how the Holy Spirit empowers the work of the church. He empowers the work of the body of Christ. And part of that empowerment from the Spirit is to help us, as we saw last week in John 14. He's to help us to love Christ by keeping his commandments. Another part of that empowerment of the Spirit is to bring to our remembrance all that Christ has taught as well as to guarantee us the peace of Christ that's left by Jesus when he sent his spirit to dwell beside us and in us. All this is important as we move into our text for today, because our text for this morning begins to elaborate even further on the empowering work of the Holy Spirit upon the believer and upon the church. But even beyond the empowering work of the Spirit, our text for this morning really accomplishes two goals. First, It accomplishes the goal of helping us to understand the inner working relationship of the Trinity. I mean, today is Trinity Sunday, right? This is what we call it. Our bulletins say so, right? Not only that, the lectionary says so. But but 
it's Trinity Sunday, right? And, and while we have a lot of really, frankly, clear passages, and if you want to talk about them, we can after worship, but we have a lot of clear passages that point us to the truth of our triune God. Today, we can just simply affirm that we believe in a trinity. We believe in the triune God who exists as three in one and one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are co-eternal and co-equal in majesty. But secondly, the second goal of our text is that it presents us with an opportunity to have a firm grasp on the work of the whole triune Godhead within the life of the believer and within the life of the church as we wait now between the advents of Christ. And so with those two goals in mind, let's just for a minute, before we dig into the weeds, let's broadly consider what Jesus has just said in these four short verses. So broadly speaking, Jesus, again, we're just going to do a quick overview, right? So broadly speaking, Jesus, what he's done again is he has, again, promised us the sending of his spirit. The spirit, he tells us, does not speak of his own authority, but on the authority of another. He tells us that the spirit glorifies the son. He says that the spirit declares to the church what the son son tells to the spirit. That the son tells the spirit what the son has been given. And that what has been given to the son has been given by the father. So the son will tell the spirit what to declare to the church. Right? If your head is spinning, that's perfectly okay, right? Because it's supposed to be. And I did it that fast on purpose to kind of make your head spin. No, but, but it's, it's okay if your head's spinning. Because as we circle back to the start of the text, which I intentionally left out of that overview, Jesus tells us that he has a lot more that he wishes he could tell us, but he just can't at that time. He says the disciples are unable to bear it. And he, has, he says it this way. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But, right, there's an implied but here almost between verses 12 and 13. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So see now, if that overview made absolutely no sense to you, it's perfectly okay, right? You can relax, right? Because Jesus has just said, it's okay. Because honestly, it probably made more sense to other people than it did to some. And that's fine because really there are some things that we are just unable to bear at the present time, as is the case with the disciples here. But if you're like me, you come to at least verse 12, and, and you read this, and you realize, at least I do, I hate waiting on answers, right? I hate waiting on explanations. Which means that if you're like me, your immediate reaction to verse 12, at least, is regardless of who a statement like this is from, you probably want to ask the question, why? 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 What makes you think that I can't handle what you have to say to me? Now, I know this is coming from Jesus, who is God, so we obviously have to do that with a bit of respect, right? But you want to ask the question, why do you not think I can handle this? Now, tell me if this has ever been your experience as well as mine. Someone gets a message to you, right? Whether that be now, we're in in the modern age, right? So we have smartphones and devices where we can text people or send emails and that kind of stuff. But let's just say it's a good old-fashioned conversation as well. So someone gets a message to you or they come up to you and with a very serious look and tone, they tell you, we need to talk. And then they never explain any further than that, right? We need to talk, but we'll do it later, right? Like if you ever want to send my stress level through the roof, do that to me, right? Come up to me and look at me and say, we need to talk or send me a text. We need to talk. And then when I respond... And you just say, not right now, we'll have to do it later. It will stress me out, right? It dri- it'll drive me crazy. I have to know what's going on. And I will bug you until you tell me. 
Because in my mind, when, when I come to this point in the Gospels, just hypothetically speaking, we've been reading from Matthew to John, right, hypothetically. We're at this point. We know the story. But you get to this point in John chapter 16, and I can only imagine that the disciples are in a very similar position, right? Jesus has been telling them over and over and over again he's leaving. But last week, we finally see, okay, don't worry. He's going to send another helper. Another helper. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that. But then he drops another bomb. So not only is he going to send another helper, but now I have more stuff to tell you, but not yet. My, my reaction is, man, it, Jesus, if you've got something to say, just, just say it and let me deal with it, right? And, and really, that reaction really gets at the heart of our problem, I think, right? Because, because we like to be lords of our own lives. Let me decide, and let me decide if I'm capable of handling what you actually have to tell me. That's not your job, that's my job, right? That, this is what really our modern cultural philosophy has done to us, right? I will handle the truth, and you tell me whether or not, all right, you tell me what it is, and I'll decide whether or not I can handle the truth. But really, isn't that the very basic definition of what it means to surrender your life and will over to someone else? Right? Paul calls himself constantly a slave of Christ. And that's the very basic definition of what we really ought to grasp, at least in the reaction to verse 12, at least my personal reaction to it. Because our master decides on what to tell us and when to tell us in his own timing. And if you approach this verse the way that my immediate reaction to is, is you get kind of frustrated. But in doing so, I think you can easily miss the mercy in Jesus' words in this verse. Because notice exactly what he tells the disciples. He says, I have some things left to tell you, but you can't bear them now. So let's, let's break down what that means, right? Because first he says, I still have things to say. Right? I still have many more things to say. So let's consider this, at least this first part of verse 12, by asking a question. If Jesus still has things left to say, does this mean that Jesus' message so far has been insufficient? Well, the right answer is no, right? Uh, any question I'm about to ask, at least the next few questions, are, all the right answers are no here, right? No, no. Because, or as Paul would say in Romans, right, God forbid, right? We, we should not ever come to the conclusion that Jesus' message is insufficient, especially at this point. But ever, really. So this is why we don't stop here, right? This is why we keep reading through the next clause and then through the next verse, right? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Remember last week in John 14, we talked about how even though we live in the age of the poured out Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit doesn't replace Jesus. Rather, his work emboldens the work and the word that Christ has already proclaimed. The Spirit brings to remembrance all that Christ has said. But what Jesus seems to be implying here, at least in verse 12, in the first part of verse 12, is that there's still other things that need to be said. So we move on to the next part of the verse where he says, I have much to say to you, but you are unable to bear it. Well, if Jesus' message was not insufficient, then there's another question to ask here. But if he can't say it yet because we're unable to bear it, well then, does that mean that our limitations or the limitations of Jesus or the limitations of the disciples can limit the work and word of Christ? Again, the right answer here is no, right? Nothing that we do limits the work of the Lord God, right? 
Because just because we are unable to bear the weight of what Jesus has left to say does not mean that our limitations have ever put limitations on him. Origen wrote here and he said that the work and the power of the Holy Spirit is what overcomes our inability to fully grasp all the things that Christ desires for us to know, including, but not limited to, true faith in the triune God. And so where do we go from here, right? If, if our work does not limit his word, and if his word is not insufficient, then what do we do? Well, we have to simply rest within his love at this moment. We have to rest in the truth of what he's just told us. Because he tells us here, that the disciples, and really in some ways by proxy us, are just simply not able to bear what he has to tell them. Other terms that you could use here could be they're unable to carry that load, right? So think of like picking up something really heavy when your back is bothering you, right? You can't, you can't handle that load. Or another term could be to endure, right? So here we have endurance. We understand that one a little bit better. One scholar actually translated, when he was working through this, he, he translated it from the Greek to English himself, and he, he translated it as the word accept, stating that what Jesus would have to say at this time was just simply too much for them to accept. It was too much for them to get their minds wrapped around. So the statement from Christ is a simple, love-filled concern for his disciples, and it continues to extend outwards toward us today through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because in just one very short verse, Jesus has helped us to better understand our own sanctification. Because in a small way, we could say that our entire lives walking with the Lord Jesus could be classified as unable to bear some of the many things he has left to tell us within a specific given moment. And so instead, we are to rely upon what we are able to bear. And we continue to trust in him and in the work of the Holy Spirit. One of our other readings from the lectionary today is from Romans 5. And I think this idea of bearing up what Christ has to say is partly, not totally, but partly at the heart of what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 5. He says that our suffering produces endurance. It produces our ability to bear up. And so there are many things that really a new Christian could not bear, right? That they could not accept or understand or get their minds wrapped around. And really, they have to suffer through the normal ebb and flow of life and the challenges of what it means to walk with Jesus. So the new Christian might not be able to fully bear a heavier load, but the well-seasoned Christian could probably put it on like a well-worn coat. And so this is where we see what Jesus means when he goes on through this verse, and he says that there are many things that he has left to say, but when the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide us into all the truth. And so this is part of, like what we saw last week, this is part of that empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit toward the believer and on the church. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He, he will guide us, he will instruct us into all the truth. But even with that, though, it, it kind of seems pretty vague, right? Okay, well, I'm going to send another helper. He's going to guide you into all the truth. I have more things to say, but not yet. So that other helper will guide you into all truth. Okay. That's kind of broad. What do you mean, Jesus, right? Honestly, when I was working through this, I found myself kind of asking along with Pilate a little bit, what is truth? Like, what do you mean by truth? Well, 
Consider exactly what Jesus is saying here, but also coupled with kind of what we've looked at over the last few weeks. The Spirit will guide us into the whole sphere of what is true truth. So this does not mean that the Spirit is going to guide us into a new truth or the church or the apostles into a new truth, but rather the true truth concerning that which has already been set forth by Christ himself. Because he goes on here and he states, moving through the rest of this, that the Spirit is not going to speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and then he will declare the things to us that are to come. Meaning that it is not the role or the ministry of the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth of other knowledge. Because it's not the Spirit's job to teach us mathematics. Now, regardless of how bad I was at math, and I would have prayed that the Spirit would have taught me math, that's not his job, right? His job is not to teach us astrophysics or, as much as we might pray for it, to teach us Greek or Hebrew. That's not his job. This all truth is completely grounded in the truth of who God really is as revealed by the Lord Jesus. Again, he says, the Spirit will guide you into all truth, and he is not going to speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come, and he will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Because all that the Father has is mine, and so he's going to take what is mine and declare it to you. Notice, just in these short verses, how the the work of the entire Godhead is at play. This is how Jesus can still have many things to say, but he has to wait because the disciples cannot bear it in that moment. But the teaching ministry of Jesus, it is extended, it is emboldened, and it is completed by the teaching ministry of his spirit of truth. And then moving on into the second half, just of verse 13, Jesus tells us, he says that the spirit is a guide into all the truth. And although he is a guide, we learn something else. We learn that he's not guiding by his own authority. This is like going hiking with an app, right? You might know the trail and can see the trailblazes on the, on the, on the trees or whatever, wherever they're painted on the rocks or whatnot. But if, but if you don't know where you're going... You're kind of lost, right? So you need a guide. So what we see here is that the Spirit, he does not guide by his own authority. He guides based on the authority of another. He guides based on the authority of the other persons of the Godhead. In Jesus' statement here, he provides us with a very key understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's this. He's not on an isolated mission. He's not working independently. He's not working on his own, and he's not working outside the influence of the entire triune God. And so because he does not speak on his own authority, he does not speak of his own initiative. Instead, the Spirit's purpose is to bring to remembrance all that Christ has taught us. He is to aid us as we love Christ and as we obey the commands of Christ. And therefore, he is to communicate to the believer and to the church all the things that he hears from Christ. And this includes those many things that the disciples and we are not yet able to bear. But it also includes the things that are to come, which could include the scriptures. It can include the things we've looked at through John's apocalypse over the course of Eastertide. It can include all these things. Tertullian wrote here and said, this is the Spirit's guiding office. It's the direction of discipline, the revelation of scripture, the renewing of the mind, and to progress us toward better things to come. 
And so this work of the Holy Spirit also includes, though, Jesus tells us, to an even greater degree, the glorification of the Son. Notice that right after he tells us these things that are to come here in verse 13, he says this in verse 14. He says, the Spirit will glorify me. For he is going to take what is mine and then declare it to you. Again, we see the inner working of the Trinity here, right? We see in, where in John 14, 8, just one, a couple of chapters before, Philip says to the Lord, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Right? I mean, you've got to admire Philip's braveness here, right? But, but we all know Jesus' response, right? He says, have I not been with you? Have I been with you this long and you don't know me? And he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so just as Christ has made the Father known, so also the Spirit makes the Son known. And there's two really very important truths to grasp just from this truth. First, because the Spirit makes the Son known, this tells us we cannot know the Son without knowing the Holy Spirit. Meaning, like as we saw last week, we cannot love the Son without the Spirit. We cannot obey the commands of the Son without the Spirit, nor can we have everything that the Son has said brought to our remembrance without the Spirit of truth working in us, dwelling beside us and in us, or empowering us as the body and bride of Christ. To know the Son, we need to know the Spirit of truth. But the second important point to grasp here is just as vital. Jesus mentions this. He says that the Spirit will glorify the Son. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that not only complements the ministry of the Son, nor does it not only extend the ministry of the Son, but just as importantly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son. Telling us a very key point. If the work doesn't glorify Christ, then the work is not of the Spirit of Christ. Because remember, the Spirit does not replace the Son. We're not modalists, right? We don't believe that God has existed in three modes throughout history, right? We believe in the one in threeness, the three in oneness, the triune Godhead. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is an extension of the ministry of Christ, which is itself a ministry that is directed by God the Father. And we know this truth of the triune Godhead because, as Christ tells us here, at the end of verse 14, the Spirit has taken what is Christ's, and the Spirit has then declared it to us, who is his body and his bride. The Holy Spirit has announced it to those whom the Holy Spirit has regenerated and brought to faith and knowledge of Christ. And it, it, it's through this agency of the Spirit that we see that the entire Godhead is unified in his purpose and in his intention of having a relationship with each and every one of us that belong to him. And so finally, notice here in verse 15, very importantly, that this text, while being very Christ-centered, is not just Christ-centered. It's very Trinitarian. It's very theocentric. Listen to verses 14 and 15 again. Again, the Spirit, he will glorify me, the Son, for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. Therefore, I said that the Spirit is going to take what is mine that's been given to me by the Father, and he will declare it to you, my church. Again, Jesus, he's unfolding the inner working of the ministry that exists between himself and the Spirit and the Father, the Father from whom Christ has received all things. 
So consider the unfolding nature of the ministry of the entire Godhead that Jesus is showing us here. The Lord has received his message from the Father. And now, with the sending of the other helper, it is the Spirit's work to communicate that very same message from God the Father that the Spirit has received from the Son. That's the exact same thing we started out with that got everybody's head spinning. But it makes sense now, right? Because even though we're moving into the season of ordinary time, this particular truth, this inner working of the, of the Trinity, should really reframe how we keep the entire Christian year. Because our celebratory season from Advent to Pentecost is rightly focused on the person and work of Christ. I mean, and for good reason, right? Because it's, it's through Christ that we are redeemed by his death and burial and resurrection. It's through Christ that we are guaranteed not only eternal life, but a bodily resurrection. But to be authentically Christian, to be authentically of the kingdom of God in Christ, to be orthodox, little o orthodox in our faith, is to be Trinitarian. And while we rightly emphasize the person and work of Jesus, because through him, God is made truly and fully known, even still, we have to be careful to not emphasize one person of the Godhead at the neglect of the others. Because we do not worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are co-equal and co-eternal in majesty and glory. And who are all co-worthy of our worship and our praise. So this morning as we come to the table. While there may be many things that you are not able to bear. Christian, be assured at this moment. That through faith in Christ you have received his spirit of truth. Who is guiding you into all truth. Which is the truth of our orthodox faith. And the truth of our triune God. So may all that we do this ordinary time. Be in the power of the Holy Spirit. To the glory of the Son. And the praise of the Father.